Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is June 20th, Monday, and if you are a government employee or a banker, you've got the day off because Juneteenth, which officially is on June 19th, is celebrated as a so-called national holiday. And it does celebrate one of the great achievements of Western civilization, which is the abolition of slavery. On June 19, 1865, Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, and proclaimed that the slaves in Texas were now free. This was the last holdout state where the Emancipation Proclamation had not been enforced. Now, remember, the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln only freed the slaves in territory not controlled by the Union at the time of its issuance in 1863. So, in other words, if you were a slave in Maryland, for instance, a state which did not secede from the Union, slavery wasn't abolished by the Emancipation Proclamation. Maryland did abolish slavery on its own in 1864, which until the 13th Amendment was the only constitutional way for slavery to be abolished was for the independent states to abolish them on their own. And while I don't want to rain on the parade of the celebration of this holiday in spirit, the one thing I don't like about it is that it tends to reinforce this worship of Abraham Lincoln as a president, who, just like every other president near the top of most historians' lists as best president, I have in the column as one of the worst. Obviously not because of his personal opposition to slavery, but because he started a war that got 600,000 to a million Americans to kill each other and stated emphatically that he didn't do it to free the slaves. In fact, he said it over and over. And by the time of his letter to Horace Greeley in 1862, he seems downright perturbed that people keep advancing this idea that he's fighting the war to free the slaves, when in fact he said in his first inaugural that he recognized that per the Constitution, 
the people living in the states where slavery already existed had, quote, a property right in their slaves, and that none of the southern states would be invaded unless they failed to pay their taxes and respect federal property. So that first inaugural couldn't have been clearer as to why Lincoln would prosecute the Civil War. And again, he reinforced this over and over during the Civil War. And immediately, for whatever reason, whenever you discuss this issue of the Civil War and why it was fought, people immediately feel the need to either defend Lincoln or defend the Confederacy. And I argued several years ago in a widely read article that we should really condemn both. And the reality of the situation that people just don't seem to be able to comprehend is that, yes, the Confederate states did secede, at least the first seven, mostly because of the issue of slavery. It wasn't the tariffs. It wasn't all of the wealth redistribution from them to the northern states that was going on. Only one of the declarations even mentions this, And then it goes on to say, but basically words to the effect that they tolerated all that, but they wouldn't tolerate the eventual abolition of slavery, which they believed the election of Lincoln and the rise of the Republican Party, which was at least dedicated to abolishing slavery in the new territories, made the eventual abolition of slavery in their own states inevitable. Now, the reasoning for that would be that, yes, you're going to keep on adding new states to the Union, which are not slave states, and eventually we'll just be outvoted and you're going to take away our slaves. So there was nothing noble about the first states that seceded from the Union. Defenders of that regime will often say, well, they seceded because the northern states were not living up to the terms of the Constitution, and that's true. And basically, they were nullifying fugitive slave laws. It wasn't some other article or clause of the Constitution that the northern states weren't respecting. It was specifically that one. So yes, the first seven states seceded because of slavery. After that, it gets a little more complicated, and an argument can be made for the later states seceding really in response to Lincoln's prosecution of the war. But in any case, Lincoln was very clear that he was not going to let the states secede. He always talked about preserving the Union. But Lincoln was a big government guy. He was a former Whig. He came from that part of the Republican Party that were not what they called the radical Republicans who wanted to abolish slavery immediately. He came from the former Whig side, which was a lot more interested in raising a lot of high protectionist tariffs using the money to fund all kinds of government infrastructure projects that before the Civil War were privately funded, owned, and completed. And of course, he was a big proponent of a central bank. So this is why Lincoln wanted to preserve the Union, because none of that was possible if he lost such a large portion of his tax base as all those states that had seceded from the Union by the time he was inaugurated. And let's not forget... When he made his inaugural speech, those states had left. They considered themselves independent of the United States. So when he says, if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to get invaded, well, they took that as a declaration of war. Of course, we're not going to pay taxes to the Union. We all had conventions. We voted nice and legal-like, and we left, just like the American colonies had left the British Empire. 
So in addition to Lincoln's true reasons for fighting the war, we also have to remember that he was a proponent of what today sounds like a pretty screwy idea, which was called colonization, which meant that, yes, we want to free all the slaves and then we want to deport them out of the United States. Lincoln, of course, had always said he wanted that to be voluntary on their part, but he wanted to get rid of them all, get them out of the country. Because Lincoln was, like a lot of Americans at the time, probably most Americans of the time, a white supremacist. White supremacist actually has a definition, and the definition is that there should be different rules and legal disabilities for people who are not white. And that's another thing that Lincoln said over and over, is he never thought that we should have equality between the white race and the African Americans. He didn't believe that it would ever be successful for us to all live together, and so he wanted to ship them out. Now, of course, again, he's ascended to this religious stature as almost a saint in American culture, and so historians have tried to make all kinds of excuses, including that he no longer believed in this program after 1863, because it's well documented that he was actively trying to execute a plan to get all of the freed slaves out of America up until that time. And then after that time, he doesn't speak about it publicly so much. But there's a great book on this subject by Philip Magnus and Sebastian Page called Colonization After Emancipation, Lincoln and the Movement for Black Resettlement, in which they present a lot of evidence that Lincoln was suing colonization right up until the day he died in 1865. Now, there is actually a documented meeting between a general named Benjamin Butler and Lincoln two or three days before he died, where Butler claimed that they had discussed colonization. And I'll read the passages from Butler's book. And before I do, again, this is a subject that Lincoln's worshipers try to discount. Now, Butler was considered an exaggerator, an embellisher about his exploits in the war. And he wrote this book in 1892. It wasn't the first time he had made this claim, but the passage I'm going to read is from 1892. And at the time, everybody just took him at his word. It wasn't until the mid-20th century when people began to dispute what he said because this whole idea of elevating Lincoln to godlike stature that he possesses now, actually sitting on a throne like Zeus in a memorial in Washington, that's when this started to be called into question. Now, for a while, this was a lot easier to discredit because there was no record of any meeting between Lincoln and Butler. But then, after some time, a physical document actually was discovered that confirmed that, indeed, a couple of days before he was assassinated, Lincoln met with this general, although the document does not specify what they talked about. But you can see the reaching here and the rationalization at every new piece of evidence that Lincoln was still thinking about this on the day he died and intending to try and pursue this mad project. The excuses get more and more ridiculous the more evidence piles up. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. 
Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. Without further ado, I'll read the passage. Date, between February and March 25th, 1865, a conversation was held between us after the negotiations had at Hampton Roads. I, and this is Lincoln speaking, am to go down to City Point shortly, but what shall we do with the Negroes after they are free? Lincoln's concern, we have armed and disciplined and who have fought with us to the amount, I believe, some 150,000 men. If these black soldiers of ours go back to the South, I am afraid that they will be but little better off with their masters than they were, and yet they will be free men. I fear a race war, and it will be at least a guerrilla war. Colonization, Lincoln speaking. I believe that it would be to export them all to some fertile country with a good climate they could have to themselves. Interlude. The second day after that I called early in the morning. Logistics. I assure you that using all your naval vessels and all the merchant marine fit to cross the seas with safety, it will be impossible for you to transport them half as fast as Negro children will be born. Then in bold it says Butler's Solution. The United States wants a ship canal across the Isthmus of Darien at some proper and convenient point. Now, I know of a concession made by the United States of Colombia of a strip 30 miles wide across the Isthmus for that purpose. I have the confidence of the Negroes. If you will put me in command of them, I will take them down there and dig the canal. Number, 50,000 well-equipped men. Supplies. It will cost the United States nothing but their pay. The clothing that they will wear will be otherwise eaten by moths. The arms are of no worth, as we have so many of them in excess. The wagons and equipment will otherwise rust out. Immigration. After we get ourselves established, we will petition Congress under your recommendation to send down to us our wives and children. Lincoln's response. There is meat in that, General Butler. There is meat in that. So the authors do give due weight that Butler was known to exaggerate and that the questions about his credibility are not completely without merit, but it stretches the imagination to think that now that we know that this meeting did occur, that a meeting did occur between Lincoln and Butler, 
that he would just make up a subject that they didn't even talk about colonization. Maybe those are not the exact words that he and Lincoln used in that exchange, but it seems highly unlikely that Butler would just make up the entire subject of the meeting when there was just no real reason for it in 1892. So on one last note, Lincoln had also been a supporter of the 1848 Constitution of Illinois, which stipulated that their legislature should immediately after ratification of the Constitution pass laws that would prohibit free black people from moving to the state of Illinois. And I'll read the passage from the Constitution. This is Article 14. It says, The General Assembly shall, at its first session under the amended Constitution, pass such laws as will effectually prohibit free persons of color from immigrating to and settling in this state and to effectually prevent the owners of slaves from bringing them into the state for the purpose of setting them free. So much for the noble Northerners who were the great friend of African Americans. Don't let them come here. That was basically the gist of that. So I share all this information to give some context to the Emancipation Proclamation, which Lincoln himself said was nothing but a war measure. One more bit of context, there wasn't really anything materially different about the Emancipation Proclamation than what the British had done during the Revolutionary War on two different occasions. Once in 1775, applying only to Virginia, they had offered freedom to any slave that would run away and fight against the rebels. And again in 1779, they expanded this offer to all of the seceded colonies. Now, nobody holds up John Murray, 4th Earl of Dunmore, as this great abolitionist saint, nor General Henry Clinton of the British Army for issuing their own Emancipation Proclamations because they recognized they were just trying to do this to use the slaves as cannon fodder in the war. They were asking them to do something very dangerous, which was run away from their slave masters at great personal risk so they could fight against them for the British. And this was done purely for selfish interest by the British. And critics of Lincoln say, well, this is just what he was doing with his Emancipation Proclamation, trying to inspire what they called back then servile insurrection among the slaves, which was pretty much unsuccessful. The slaves were smart enough to know that they were not going to do well in a fight against the armed and trained Southern armies. So they refrain, for the most part, from any servile insurrections. But there isn't much reason to treat Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation as anything different than that of Dunsmore or Clinton during the Revolutionary War. But yet we do. Even while people continued to suffer in slavery in the state of Maryland for a full year after the proclamation was issued, something Lincoln had no intention of doing anything about. And of course, as I said, Maryland freed its own slaves with no coercion by the federal government at all. So with all that context, I thought I would read the proclamation that was actually read in Gavelston on June 19, 1865. I think a lot of people will find this rather surprising. It starts out, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves absolute personal rights 
and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. Well, so far, so good, except that last part's a little confusing until you get the second paragraph. And here's the second paragraph of this very short proclamation. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their homes and work for wages. They inform that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either here or elsewhere. By order of Major General Gordon Granger, signed F.W. Emery, Major and A.A.G. Not exactly the wonderful moment that you'd like it to be, where first, of course, the institution of slavery is by executive order abolished. And, of course, this is only a war measure. Lincoln himself said he had no power to do this as a matter of domestic policy under the Constitution. But quite frankly, I wouldn't care about that if the war had been fought for this purpose and maybe the proclamation had stopped after the first paragraph. But as you can see, nobody considered the African-Americans equal or were going to have equal rights. And in fact, the emancipation of them was done with the idea that they were eventually going to be shipped out of America. Now, everybody did not share this view. It had a lot of opposition by the time the Civil War ended. But Lincoln himself was still pursuing this and was convinced that never could African-Americans and European-Americans live together in peace and harmony. In his defense, he did base part of this on the fact that he didn't think that the European-Americans would accept them. But he also had this idea that kept Thomas Jefferson up at night that once the African-Americans were freed and had the right to keep and bear arms, they were going to kill all the white people. This was the source of his statement that he trembled for his country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. He was talking about the tremendous injustice that they had visited upon the slaves. So what we could take away from all this, we should, of course, celebrate the abolition of slavery. It's unfortunate that it had to occur after this terrible war fought for taxes. And scholars that I respect are divided on whether slavery would have been abolished without the war sooner or later. Certainly, it would have been eventually abolished. And I think people could disagree on how fast that would have occurred. It's hard to imagine in the 20th century there might still be slavery in the United States, although there was slavery into the 20th century in many other countries. And there still are about 38 to 40 million, according to one estimate, people enslaved to this day, legally enslaved. So the United States was, of course, not the last country to abolish slavery. It wasn't the first country either. And from a moral perspective, of course, the time to abolish slavery was not another day, not another minute. Was this going to be difficult? Sure it was. But on one hand, we should recognize that people like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and others were trying to find a way to get rid of slavery. And Thomas Jefferson did quite a bit of work while still owning slaves himself in trying to get rid of the institution in some kind of orderly fashion. And it's easy for us in this century to say, well, that wasn't good enough. And maybe it wasn't. 
But I wanted to share the information on this podcast to kind of dispel this idea that there were people with white hats and people with black hats over the abolition of slavery and the Civil War. It was generally just a disaster for America, like just about every war America has fought other than the American Revolution. It could have been avoided. It certainly was prosecuted for evil ends by the Union, just as secession by the initial states that seceded was for evil reasons as well. So those are my thoughts. I look forward to your comments and anybody who's got a different perspective or any additional information, please post them in the comments to this. Don't forget that my Patreon is up and running. So you can find that at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, where you can get additional content to the podcast, members-only articles. And if you're a VIP member, you can also get free access to my online courses. So give that a look and consider joining and supporting the show. And as always, if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.